Welcome to Trash Talk Podcast. We're a podcast that talks movies, comic books, TV shows, and games all while having a drink. My name's Austin. And this is Travis. And today we're going to be doing an episode of what we've been watching, <laughs> movie theater edition. So we've been watching a lot of big movies that have been coming out recently because November, December has been dropping a lot of cool movies. So when we talk about three movies that hit theaters, especially the big one, Spider-Man Far From Home. With that, we're also going to be talking about Ghostbusters Afterlife and uh, Nightmare Alley, which we just watched. I don't know why I paused. I couldn't think of the name. We're going to be talking about these three movies, mostly Spider-Man, but we're going to be talking about Ghostbusters and Nightmare Alley a little bit, too, in this episode. And at the end of this episode, since we didn't do it last time, at, at the, the movies. movies, where we talk about some extra movies and TV shows that aren't things that came out in theaters recently that we watch on our own that are pretty good. So that said, Travis... Let's jump into real news and fake news. Are you ready to rock and roll? No idea what that means, but yes. So, Travis, four pieces of news, one of which is fake. Are we talking about real news, fake news? Yes. Okay, good. Benedetta is a movie that is out right now. This isn't the real news or fake news. It's a movie about, I think it's a French movie, but it's basically about a nun that is lesbian and she develops a romance with another nun, and that's very, very against what they stand for and then you know drama ensues because of it sounds like a porn i watched recently my yeah i know it does look in the trailer it does look like a very much higher budget porno in a way but i haven't seen it but it is actually playing theaters near us okay. anyway so someone who went to a special screen in this movie posted on facebook his favorite movie merchandise of all time that at this special screening what he received in other people was a special Benedetta dildo, a white uh, dildo for the nun, with the words, I am an instrument of God, engraved on it. Were they expecting all women to go to this, or did they just expect men to use this? Or be- uh, The poster is a guy, so I'm not sure what he did with it afterwards, but he's got a cool little piece of merchandise. I'm going to get more power to him. I mean, like, I don't know how that's really a gift. I mean, I'm, I'm assuming some people would find that as a gift, mm. but like majority guys are like, all right, I'm not going to just stick this on my wall and be like, this is an instrument of God. Have fun with that information. Yeah. So that is probably the most bizarre piece of movie merchandise for a movie screen that I've ever seen, but easily, or maybe I made it up. Number two, Travis, there's a cat on Facebook, the Cheeto cat. It's a really fat cat and eats Cheetos. It's a, Video sensation. TikTok sensation. Anyway. Did he get his own movie? He's getting his own movie. Cool. What more information do we have on this? Uh, He's a really fat cat and he eats Cheetos. So it's going to be kind of like a live action Garfield in a way, but he only eats Cheetos instead of lasagna. So they're using this actual cat in this supposed movie. Or an actor cat that looks like him. But yeah, it's going to be a live action cat. Okay. Yeah. Different. Number three, Travis. I'm not sure if you know about this story. I barely knew about this as well. But Netflix is making a movie about the grandma who accidentally invited a stranger to Thanksgiving. Do you know about this? No. So there was this grandmother. She texted her grandchild, you ready to come to Thanksgiving? She posted like a picture of the grand feast that she made. She texted to the wrong guy. She texted to someone that was like, either i think he was at least multiple towns over i think he's in another state uh she came from like uh just looking at a picture they look kind of like a classic midwestern 
white family. And then she texted like a guy and his girlfriend, both African-American. He was like, no, I think you got the wrong person, but I'll come. And being the nice woman that she is, she said, yes, it's been a tradition that now people on Facebook every year look forward to them meeting up again. But every single year, this guy and his girlfriend, I believe, go to this family for Thanksgiving, which is awesome because they were complete strangers, but an accident brought them together. That's, I mean, that's really dope. If you don't really have like family, you can just like drive to and be like, okay, we're going to spend Thanksgiving with our own family. Strangers, family that makes an awesome Thanksgiving dinner. What could be better? My mom actually invites her friends to our Thanksgiving dinner. They are friends, so she knows them, of course. Mm, but but they're not family. They're not family, and they're pretty much strangers to me and mm. most of my grandmother. My grandmother didn't know them, but every year they now come. Huh, that's interesting. So sort of a similar situation. Every year they post photos <laughs> to the internet, uh, just letting people know that they're still like catching up. Recently, though, they've been taking photos of a picture of the grandfather because he passed away. So now it's just the older woman and uh, the kid and his girlfriend or whatever. Anyway, long story short, this is a story I didn't know much about. That's why I'm catching you up. Yeah. Netflix acquired the rights and they're making a movie about this. Cool. I don't know if it's going to be good or not, but I guess it's kind of a heartwarming story. It it kind of feels like a Hallmark movie. It does. Yeah. I don't know what the hell I had, but throat sore. Anyway, but yeah, so I, I I could see this working. I just don't know why Netflix, of all people, would pick it up. Like, I could easily see Hallmark making a movie out of that. Sure. It's like their theme. It's like family, get together. Even if you're not family, get together. Um, cheesy plot. Cheesy. Well, I mean, heartfelt sure. cheesy plot. Uh. I, just, I don't know why Netflix would. I mean, I know they're spending their money on everything. and any, Except for Cowboy Bebop. Except for Cowboy Bebop. <laughs> well, they spent a little bit of money on that. Mm. And then they decided that was a bad idea. Yeah. But yeah, so I don't I don't know why they would do this. Number four, Travis. Uh, where is that? Okay, so <gasps> you know the the Gorillas, the band? No. Oh, no. Uh, okay, well, this doesn't really work. They're known for having... They don't put out a ton of music, so when their um, like CDs come out, it's like a big deal. Oh, okay. And their music videos are always very uh, like surrealist and always animated. The characters have a very unique stylization to them in their music videos. But going to Netflix, another Netflix, the real news of fake news, a feature-length Gorillaz movie is coming to Netflix. So the front man of the band confirmed that he's working on a feature-length Gorillaz project with Netflix, and it's going to be animated. So, Ooh, that'd be kind of fun. Yeah, because it could be kind of like um, Interstellar 555, you know, like a, it's basically a long music video. Yeah, I mean, it probably won't be that, because that was very much its own thing, but I, I could see it, like, because, of course, animated movies are gaining popularity now, um, in general. And I think one, because we had, uh, was that the live action Freddie Mercury one? Oh, uh, Bohemian Rhapsody. Bohemian Rhapsody. We had something like that. And I think like basically just an animated version of that would be kind of fun. Mm. And of course you can make it a bit more goofy and do whatever you want with it and make it just epic. Yeah, so, definitely. So that you're kind of on board for. Yeah, no, I'd be fine with that. I don't know the gorillas. I actually, I'll be happy to go check out their music videos after we're done. To yeah, definitely. Up. You've probably heard their music before, but maybe just haven't connected it. 
Travis, the only question now is which one is the fake news? It got four pieces of pretty interesting, I feel, really is the fake news, but one of which I made up. Please tell me it's Cheetos the cat. Do you want me to go through them again, or do you want to guess nah, Cheetos the cat? I really want to guess Cheetos the cat, because I hope that's not true. <laughs> Why? We have Garfield, <laughs> and we have probably like seven, ten thousand movies about talking cats. Mm. Do we need about one that you've seen on Facebook? I never said it was a talking cat. I just said it was a cat that ate Cheetos. Well, no. what would be the point if it doesn't talk? I don't know. He eats Cheetos. Cool. What would be the point of the movie? I like, if you don't fair. understand his thought process, like, he eats <laughs> Cheetos. Cool. Like, you can <laughs> He's see. He's fat. Fat eats Cheetos, lives in probably Miami. Doesn't matter. Huh, interesting. What? I never imagined him for someone from Miami. Actually, eating, now I do. Is he eating Cheetos? Cat? Come on, this guy. I've seen him with like, like a Hawaiian shirt, <laughs> like how Gabriel and Glacius always wears one. Ooh, I mean, if if Gabriel Gabriel and Grace, I cannot pronounce his name. Gabriel and Glacius was per, like his uh, voice actor. Yeah, I'd be down for that. That would actually be a perfect combination. Actually, yeah. The real news, the fake news, is the Cheeto the Cat movie. You got it right this time, Travis. Yeah, you didn't give me nearly enough description. That's right. <laughs> also, I was like, all right, that's kind of pushing the line. <laughs> uh, all right. With that said, because you guys are right, I'm going to be taking a big old swig of my drink, and we're going to be jumping to our first review. Also, as a heads up, all these movies have major spoilers. We're not going to do a non-spoiler section. This whole episode, especially because Spider-Man's in this, is be spoilerful. After Ghostbusters Afterlife, there's some a couple twists that we might talk about. Nightmare Alley has, you know, it's a mystery film, so it's built on twists and mystery. And Spider-Man: Far From Home, the reason why people are trying to stay off Facebook as much as they can, at least I did. So heavy spoilers ahead. I'm gonna take this big drink, Travis. You can decide which is the first movie we're gonna talk about. Well, why don't we just do them in order? Because we started with Ghostbusters, we went to Spider-Man, and then we went to Nightmare Alley. Let's start with Ghostbusters. Sure. So, I, let's not jump into a summary of the movie. People have seen it or don't care. Let's just talk about stuff we liked, didn't like, or just topics we want to discuss. Sure. So, I guess uh, my first topic for you is, do you like the fact that, unlike the first two, and I, even the female one in 2016, I think, it separates itself from New York City and goes out... I don't remember what state, but it's like Midwest, I believe. I'm I'm very much okay with that because like the first two very much worked in 80s New York City. Mm. From what I heard, I've never seen the uh, the third one there, the, the all female led one with yeah. Chris Hemsworth. I think part of the reason was it was modern day New York City, and I don't think it worked partially for that reason, for other reasons as well. They're trying to make it overly comedic. I think. I or, think so. I, I didn't I didn't hear too much about it, but I think part of it was that is it. It took place in a very, very modern, very adapted city. And they're just like, we're just going to throw random CGI ghosts in here and people are just going to accept it. And you're just like, nah, just nah. So I think this is fine. I think this works out on the countryside. Maybe they went over the top with it being like the portal to hell. (laughs) Sure. Yeah. Like maybe they could have done something a little bit one tier below that, Mm. but uh, it was still fun. I still think it worked fine. And enjoyed it yeah so i enjoyed the fact that it was out in this like random town uh midwest because we got a different pace uh change of scenery 
a lot of movies are like filmed in California or in New York City. Yes. Especially the Marvel movies, all of them are in New York City. So I I do have like this kind of love with anything that's filmed in like uh like mid southwest mm. because it or maybe it's no yeah no mid southwest it looks beautiful it's a beautiful country it um is. a lot of like it's more deserty of course um this one was more farmland so i guess this would be northern north whatever further north anyway it doesn't matter and it's still a little more farmland. It was really cool and it was really nice. And I, I love all movies like that are kind of based on that because they kind of feel more low budget, but you like, I like that feel. Yeah. Same. I wonder if any part of that is because we live in an area that's much closer to that than the big cities. I wonder if that factors in at all. I think part of it's, we've seen New York city too much. This was a 3 billion times by now. Yeah. LA probably 3 billion. Miami, probably a bit less. We don't get mm. as much in Miami. But, like, those three big places, like, everyone around the world knows where they are now. Definitely. doesn't matter who you are. Most people know because they get talked about so much. Primarily through movies, books, whatever. Um, and it's just nice to see, like, America's massive. And I don't know how many people realize or don't realize that. But America's huge. And then when we get a movie that just shows us a small tidbit of part of America. It's like, okay, you've got all this expanse right there. Definitely. And it works with not only establishing a news story, but also it gives a good reason for the characters to go there. Basically the story is that, uh, fuck, what's the mean? The character's name, but Egon, 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 I believe his name was, uh, the nerd scientist from Ghostbusters. Uh, the one, the only member who's passed away. Okay, yep. Um, his family, his uh, daughter, and his grandchildren move out here because they inherit a kind of shitty house that he kind of lived in until he died to what looked like ghosts. In a pretty cool opening to the movie, actually, where we see him setting up some traps to try to catch some ghosts. They don't work, and he goes into his uh, recliner when... So, like, hands come out and grab him before he has a heart attack. Yep. And uh, we don't get to see his face because the actor passed away, but we know that it's him. And it gives a reason for him to go out there. Kind of shitty town. The characters are, like, ugh. They're kind of poor. They have money issues. They're kind of stuck here for now until they can eventually sell a house. And the kids go to school, and then some ghost shit comes up. Which they never explain the whole summer school thing with the daughter. Like, why she's in school in the middle of summer when, like, no one else is there, mm. except for these other summer school kids. They don't explain that. And yeah, because unlike them, who are there because they got poor grades, she's very smart. She's very smart. And her brother, who, like her, just transferred into this town and probably should also be in summer school because he's 15 or whatever it was, 15, 16. I think it was 15 because he couldn't even drive yet. Um like, he should also be in summer school, but he wasn't for whatever reason. So they just made it kind of complicated, kind of weird. I didn't understand it. Sure. Didn't care, but it just, like, it felt weird at the time. What do you think about the newcomer to the Ghostbusters franchise? Kind of kids take center stage, but the main, the star actor in this is Paul Rudd, who plays a high school teacher who teaches, or he, he kind of, like, runs this summer camp. But he's smart, 
But like for this, for all these delinquents and these kids, he just like puts on a movie. He puts on a Stephen King movie, the oh, which one? Kaijo, I believe it was called the dog one. Ooh, that was a really good movie. And he just throws it on because he doesn't have time. He goes in the back, starts work on his own scientist stuff. Yeah, which I I like his character. He's fine. Again, they just don't give enough enough explanation as to why he's there. Sure. Like they say, he's he's come to this town to do scientist scientific stuff, uh, geological research and stuff. But like, then he's now teaching out high school. He's like, cool. This is my life now. I'm teaching out of high school. Screw mm-hmm. everything else. I'm just like, wait a minute. Weren't you this like brainiac geological scientist guy that can detect earthquakes and whatnot? Go do something with that. That seems like it pays better. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> Especially out in this small shitty town. Yeah. I like Paul Rudd and he works good in this. Um, and he works good in this because he can manage Sirius pretty well. But he's also a comedical actor and Ghostbusters, even from the very first movie, it's a comedy. It's yeah. a comedy. It's got drama to it. It's not. I've seen a little bit of the 2016 Ghostbusters and that was way too much. Just a comedy. Paul Rudd manages that line very well. I think he fits into this. I'm kind of surprised he didn't come in as more of like a Ghostbuster. He's never really a Ghostbuster in this. I thought that he would be. Mostly the kids are and the original spoilers, the original Ghostbusters that come in at the end. I kind of would like to see something where the original Ghostbusters had, I don't know, some sort of training program, I guess, where Paul Rudd was like a guy that they trained to be a Ghostbuster. Because wasn't there a Ghostbusters animated movie? Or, no, a TV show. TV show. That featured Ghostbusters that were not the Ghostbusters from the movies, like a whole new cast of characters. Mm-hmm. The original Ghostbusters don't have to be the only members. There should have been, like, like ghosts were a big thing back then, but then people just kind of forgot about them. Like, why wasn't there, like, different, like, spinoffs, like maybe a ripoff group yeah. of the Ghostbusters? And I think it made it. <clears throat> uh, the show made it through, like, two full seasons. Hmm. With them diving into the base of the same thing, going to the some sort of gate of hell or gate to the underworld or whatever. Um, it, he easily could have had, again, like some sort of like Ghostbusters, like, uh, company basically, where it's a bunch of like small individual Ghostbusters units around the United States or around the world, even. I think that would have been fine, but they just. They're like, oh, yeah, people forgot about him, and so now ghosts don't exist because people forgot. And people don't believe in ghosts, which is weird considering there <clears> seems <throat> to be plenty of video evidence that they did exist. Did, and, like, all the ones that are there you can physically see. Like, these ghosts are very prominent. Like, one is a big blue blob that everyone can see, and it eats metal. Yeah. Like, and th- that's the ghost, like, one of the primary ghosts of this small town is the, I think they call him the metal eater, the chewer or something. It's like people can physically see ghosts if there is one. So either all the ghosts just randomly disappeared after the the gate closed whenever the second Ghostbusters or I think it was the, no, it had to have been the second Ghostbusters ended. Like gates closed, all the ghosts are now gone until these kids show up in this town. Or like they, they just don't give enough explanation, I guess. So let's talk about nostalgia. We're not going to be reviewing this movie a super, super long time because we're going to jump into Spider-Man, which is going to take a while, and Nightmare Alley, which I definitely want to talk about. Let's talk about nostalgia and how 
a theme of this episode is we talk about nostalgia in that this movie relies on nostalgia. Spider-Man definitely revolves around nostalgia and which one handles it better. I'm going to just go on a limb and say Spider-Man handles nostalgia better. It's not because I like Spider-Man necessarily more of a Ghostbusters. I love them both. Yeah, I do love Spider-Man a ton. I thought it was a weird tone balance in this movie that half the time it was like someone walking on a tightrope. They're trying to get to the other side, and if they fall to the left, they're going on an area of we're making a Ghostbusters movie that has no connection to Ghostbusters. We're trying to do our own thing. We're not trying to make a ripoff. We're not trying to make something that's so close to Ghostbusters. Pretty much it's almost a different movie, except with Ghostbusters' name on it. On the right side, they go, we're going to do what a lot of Hollywood movies do is we're using the IP name Ghostbusters. Let's cram as much nostalgia in to connect. Somehow the person falls off the type rope and falls directly in the middle. Yes. When I was watching the movie, I was <clears throat> stunned by the weird tone shifts of this is a movie that tries to separate itself very much from the original Ghostbusters. Completely different location. It tries to up different characters. They're not adults. They're mostly kids. Uh, Paul Rudd's a different character compared to the original Ghostbusters. They don't feature the main Ghostbusters theme song until the end credit scene. They're trying to do its own thing. But on the other hand, they keep creaming as much references to the original Ghostbusters as they can, including bringing in a bunch of cameos from the original movie. Pretty uh, much the entire cast that's still alive. That's still alive. Um, sure, Bill Murray and the rest of the Ghostbusters are still alive, and especially Egon, which I thought they did very well with in this movie. Of course, I'm glad they brought back Mill Murray, Dan Aykroyd. Uh, fuck, I forgot the last guy's name. But to also bring in the woman secretary, I like seeing her back in things. They also brought back Signor V. Weaver, the love interest from the first movie, in an end credit scene, if you remember. Yes, yes, they did. Which... Both those scenes it felt like, hey, these are char- people we can bring back from the first one. Let's bring them in somehow. Signorby Weaver is just playing that game that they played in the first one of kind of like doing the mind reading of like, I'm holding a card, what symbols on the other side, and she zaps Bill Murray. It's a callback to the original one. Yep. And the lady secretary, she's in this because she is a friend of Egon and she's in this town for some reason and she was washing over the house. And she's in one scene in the movie Oh, that like, was her. Okay. Yeah, that, that was her. That makes much Short hair girl with the glasses. Didn't probably recognize. if you didn't recognize her, kind of probably felt a little random. Yeah. Both of those scenes, I was like, these are very shoehorned in. Hmm. Again, be, probably because I didn't recognize it. The the whole the first one there with the the lady secretary was fine by me. I loved the car one where they introduced the the original Ghostbusters Cadillac yes. uh, hearse. Um, I like that tie-in. I like when they first kind of find the equipment, like the, whatever they're called, but the traps. Yep. I liked all that. It was when they literally were becoming an exact copy of the original Ghostbusters. They were wearing the same uniform, using the same weapons, and... The same villain comes back. Pretty much the same villain. The same dogs, yeah. uh, Paul Rudd, and the main character's mom, they turn into those dogs from the original Ghostbusters. Yes. Uh, there's a pyramid at the end. <clears throat> the very end of it comes way too close to the original one, which is weird considering that the beginning of the movie tries to very much separate itself from the Ghostbusters. Yeah, that's 
where it falls apart for me because I really like the the slow times, like the small times. Mm. But then it, I think it was the very part where they're starting to wear their own uniforms. I think it was uh, with a car chase scene through town where they're trying to catch the gobbler. That's what it was called, the gobbler. Um, and they're driving the Cadillac. And the one new thing they use is a remote-controlled trap. And it's like on a RC I like car. that idea. Yeah, that was really cool. And it's like, okay, they're using new technology. Everything else is the exactly the same. The the ray gun thing that traps ghost, mm. that's the exact same. The trap itself is pretty much the same. They're not like these are really smart people. Paul Rudd's this amazing scientist. Uh the little girl, I forget her name, but she's from Stranger Things. She's an amazing scientist, like her grandfather. They're all like really smart and they're like, okay, we could do new things. The only new thing that they create is this RC controlled trap, mm. which is made by this kid who's supposedly I mean, maybe smart, but he's not like the the brains of the operation. No, definitely he's not. He's named Podcast. Oh my god, I forgot about that. <clears throat> it's been a while since I saw it, and I may or may not have like been a little bit inebriated when I watched that movie. Um oh my god, I forgot his name was Podcast. <clears throat> like his actual nickname is Podcast because he has his own podcast, which I don't know, <laughs> like half a million people have podcasts. We yeah. have a podcast. Yeah. <laughs> like I didn't know everyone who has one needs a nickname that it doesn't matter. But anyway, <laughs> I forgot about that. He's the one person who creates new technology mm. and a new ghost trapping technique. Everything else is exactly the same as original. Yep. Like the uniforms are the same. The car is exactly the same. The all the like the TVs and the computers are all from 1980 or 1990, whatever it was. Yep. It's like nothing's modernized and it pissed me off so bad. It's like you guys could create an entire universe of like really awesome ghost catching techniques mm. and gadgets and gizmos. You could literally be the James Bond of the ghost catching industry, but you didn't, you just stayed nostalgic and stayed exactly the same. And you just fixed all this old outdated kind of broken technology. It's like, why? It felt like almost like the director who's actually the son of the original director of ghostbusters he wrote his own script that was very not close to it. And then the studio was like, rewrite it, but we need to add more scenes with the original cast yeah. or more tiebacks, the original one, to make people go, oh, I remember that. But maybe it's not assumed. Maybe it was the director, the son of the original Ghostbusters director. I don't want to put it blame on. I'm just saying it felt like yeah. scenes were rewritten to throw cameos in in references to the original and that kind of really disappointed me the most about this movie in that it tried to be original, but then often it just went, nope, here's a thing you remember from Ghostbusters. Here's the characters from Ghostbusters. Here's yeah, awesome. We've been seeing them a while, but their scenes were not organic at all. Yeah. Here's the villain. Here's... Yes. Again, it, that was... They um... could have so come up with so cool... Sure, Bill Murray is in it. Great. You can come up with so many really cool ghost villains. They are like, yeah. So they had the original villain from the original movie, but it wasn't Sigourney Weaver this time. It was some rando person that I didn't know. Um, but they, they just built a temple in the middle of a mine in Central America uh, or uh, Western America, wherever it was. I, I don't even know. And it's like, how does this make sense? How does this tie in? I got the whole, like how, uh, the well, whatever it was, the big tower block there. Uh, mm. The I think it was a hotel or something. It doesn't matter. 
became this temple, like the the evil temple to the gate to the underworld or whatever. Yeah, but like why this like what felt very kind of uh kind of random. Uh well almost like uh I won't say African, like uh Egyptian. There we go. Egyptian, yeah. Almost felt Egyptian temple in the middle of a mine in cent- uh like not Central America, but central United States. Like why? Like how does that tie into anything? Yeah, kind of disappointing. So also because you remind me of the character called Podcast, when I was watching this movie, I noticed that I felt like because the closest thing I can call this movie is like it's kind of a mixture between the original Ghostbusters because how much a shoe horned in from Ghostbusters and Stranger Things, which is not a bad thing. I like the idea of focusing more on kids instead of more adults. But Stranger Things and other kid-related movies, like maybe It, the kids' dialogues makes more sense for what kids would say. When I was watching this movie, for some reason I was very focused on the dialogue. The whole time I was like, these these kids sound like adults, the way they talk. I was like, whoever wrote these don't hang around kids very much. They talk very much like adults. I could understand the girl from Stranger Things. I could understand her talking like an adult because... They gave her very, super smart, super smart. And they gave her in a very adult personality. Yeah. But podcast should have been more of a kid. He's the one I noticed it most. Also, yeah. he was like her level, like uh, the girl from stranger things. He was on her level, like being rather intelligent, but also like just, just the way he spoke and the way he was written. It was weird. And then you like, yeah, I didn't understand him. I didn't particularly mind the character. I thought he was all right. But at the same time, I think it was, uh, what was it like four or five scenes in? He was telling this girl from Stranger Things all about these different mysteries in town, like some sort of weird ghost that lives in their, uh, their, uh, whatever it was, uh, movie theater, I think it was, mm. or something. It was like, okay, so that's what these kids basically kind of, I guess, Scooby Doo esque, where these kids should go and explore and find out about ghosts through going through these. Urban legends, I guess, is what yeah. you call them. And then when you get to the second movie, then make it the end of the world. But no, they just like, we're going to start off, we're going to throw these kids, I have no experience, no nothing, or we're going to give them some equipment that they, it's 50 years outdated and send them on their merry way and hope they don't die. Mm, and they're going to save the world from the end of the end of times. Yeah. It's like, why couldn't you start out a little bit smaller and then build up? Yeah. Yeah. <sighs> Missed opportunity for me. I don't think it's yeah. a bad movie. It's just one of those movies that's disappointing because it's not bad, but it's not super good either. I think it's more missed opportunity that you see a lot yeah. of good in it, but something along the way got messed up. Yeah, I think it was. It's trying too hard to ride on the coattails of what was a good movie for its mm. time. It actually still stands up as a good movie today. It doesn't matter. Uh, the original Ghostbusters and somewhat of Ghostbusters too. And they're trying to write off the coattails of that, which is why they added so much nostalgia and stuff to keep the older audience, the people that originally saw it and the people that originally loved it, and also bring in a new audience to be like, okay, this is kind of cool. Mm. I think it rode too much on keeping the older, the original people who saw it. Yeah, know? I feel like they should have focused more on new audiences. Yeah. And like tie-ins. Like, I'm glad the car was there. I really liked the scenes of the car, actually. That was probably my favorite parts of the movie when they fired the car up and they're driving through the cornfield and they're chasing the ghost through town. I actually really liked that part. I didn't think some of the other characters needed to come in and all the other references to the original. 
I okay. I do like okay. I kind of felt it was heartwarming when they brought the whole team back together. Yes, at the very end. Yes, but like other than that, I didn't want the same villain. No. Um, I didn't want again. My biggest thing: technology. Like the RC car trap was cool, and again, seeing the original Ghostbusters car was kind of cool. But like maybe put a modern computer system in it so they make mm-hmm. it easier to track ghosts and make I guess podcast more useful because he seems. I don't want to stereotype, but he seems like the hacker type of guy. Yeah. Because like that would just personality wise and whatnot. Yeah. But they didn't use him for that. He literally just drove an RC car through like half the movie or an RC trap. I should say, mm. um, give him something to do, make him useful again, modern computer system in the classic original ghostbusters Cadillac. And you know, don't make him wear the same jumpsuits and use the same, whatever blaster, ghost blaster thing i don't i don't even know what they were plasma guns yeah something like that there's plasma guns yeah. of some sort like give them something new give them their own uniforms give them some sort of like weapon that they can use against ghosts that's really awesome but modern and cool and just i don't know they could have they could have just made it better and again new villain and i was fine with location location was great yeah location was good i'm glad oh. they went to a new area and don't start off with the end of the world. Like, at least yeah. make that the second one. Yeah, definitely. You can start uh, start smaller scale. Yeah. Sometimes, like, smaller scale is better. I'd feel more about the town getting threatened. Yeah. Because I would believe there's a chance the town can get destroyed by the ghost at the end. I'm not going to believe the world's going to die. Because that would be the most random end to a movie ever. If the whole world just got taken over by ghosts. If you do it smaller scale, it actually kind of, like, means more. Yeah. But for some reason, everything has got to be end of the world. Uh, trust. Let's move on. At um, Trust Talk Podcast rating. Bad. It's a movie. Good, great, and keynote. What are you giving it and why? Oh. I can go first if you want. All right. It, it's a good movie. I will mm-hmm. say that. It's a good movie. It should have been great. If not, like, borderline keynote. Because the original Ghostbuster was Kino in its own right. Um, it should have been that. And it wasn't. It was, it was good. Okay. That's fair. Um, I'm gonna say it's a movie, but borderline on good. It is a good movie, but the amount of times the original really pissed me off, and I thought that it didn't balance the tone very well. Of are we doing something new, or are we gonna just keep riding the coattails of the original? Mm. So I'm gonna say it's a movie. It is a good movie though. Probably if I never saw the original ones, probably I would definitely give it a good then seeing something but new then for... all the times wouldn't make sense that's also true so uh it's a weird movie and it's good but also it's a movie made by hollywood and they do hollywood things so i'm gonna say it's a movie but it's better quality than that it's pretty good so next one here's the major one spider-man far from home i'm gonna say it again spoilers ahead very much uh we're not gonna talk about plot a lot of people have seen this movie by now Evo, we're still in the middle of a pandemic. It already made half a billion dollars. This is the one people will go outside to see. This is the one people are going to go outside to see. People in certain parts of the world are like selling tickets for like $1,400 because they got them early. It's insane. Yep. There's been so much hype up to this movie, and I was scared that the hype would be kind of let down. I thought like, how about if Tobey Maguire and Andrew Garfield aren't in these movies? People hyping it up. To the point that they're in it, and people kept riding off that, and then they don't show up in it. I mean, yeah, you. I think it was when we saw the second or third trailer for it. You mentioned that because I'm like, because they didn't show the 
Andrew Garfield or Tobey Maguire until no, they actually they didn't even show him by the ending scene. They were really trying to keep it a secret, and you're like, they might not do it. I'm like, they'll do. It. <laughs> like they've built up this much hype. Mm. They'll do something good, even if it was just one of them. I would have been happy, but they actually got both. Yeah, and it's here right now. A ton of people have been seeing it. Critics love it. Audiences are loving it. A lot of people are saying it's the best Spider-Man movie or at least the best live-action Spider-Man movie put out there. We're going to jump into it, talking about a whole lot. We're going to be going back to original nostalgia because, spoiler alert, I really like this movie. I think it was very good. Do I agree with a lot of people that it's the best Spider-Man movie? No, I definitely do not. Maybe it's my third favorite Spider-Man movie. I really love Spider-Man, so I've seen all of them. You haven't seen all of them. I have. I think it's maybe the third best one. It's really good, though, and it's shocking how well they orchestrate everything for the amount of characters in this movie, which is something that is going to be kind of a major theme of what I think really works for it, is that not only they kept a lot, actually they didn't keep a lot of the secrets. A lot of the stuff was leaked or stuff like that. I didn't always know, though, if the leaks were photoshopped or not, but here we are, and it did come to fruition. So something I want to talk about first is something that's a major plus for this movie is that Amazing Spider-Man 2 and Spider-Man 3 with Tobey Maguire suffered with overload of villains. Spider-Man 3 with three villains. Spider-Man 2 had two-ish villains and a third one. They had a hard time with flow and pace. They couldn't integrate all the plots into one coherent storyline, so it kind of seemed like a jumbled mess. This movie somehow does not, even though it has way more villains, more Spider-Man, and Doctor Strange, as well as Mary Jane uh, and his friend Ned. There's a lot of storylines, his aunt. Somehow the movie never feels like an uncoherent mess, which is why I think, if you got to give credit to this movie for anything, is how plot was structured. That's fair, but they've had practice. Still a hard thing to do, though. My, the one with Miles Morales, what was that called? Into the Spider-Verse. Into the Spider-Verse. Yeah. Like, that had very nice flow. Mm. And I think that's, I mean, again, that's where I'm thinking that a lot, this movie gets a lot of its inspiration from, because that was amazing. Yes. And actually, that is top-tier Spider-Man. Not that I like Spider-Man, not that I've seen them all. Top-tier Spider-Man. Yeah, that's still my favorite one. Um, And that shows us what you can do by adding multiple Spider-Man and multiple villains and kind of making them collide all together. But in a gut, a fun and entertaining way. Yeah. And that I, I'm assuming is where they got a lot of the inspiration and a lot of the knowledge to make this movie work because they saw how well it worked for one movie and how people put it together. Because I'm assuming it wasn't the same people making live action. It was the animated. That'd be weird. Mm. But they saw how that worked and they're like, okay, let's take notes from that. And those notes worked in their favor. Definitely. Yeah. And I guess let's just fire off a different topics. Let's talk about uh, random things that you liked or things you didn't like. Let's talk about different topics you want to discuss. Um, I guess the first discussion will be there's five villains in this. Yep. Which one was the best, in your opinion? I mean, I love Sandman. I've always loved Sandman. But honestly, Doc Ock was the best in this one. Mm. Not Hands down, he was the best. Yeah, so Doc Act was pretty good because he worked as a villain, but he switched tones. He uh, 
Peter Parker was able to invent a chip that kind of fixed his back, uh, the back, uh, I forgot what it was called from Spider-Man 2, but it was the chip that controls the arms and it basically made him go crazy. And he was able to fix that to make Doc Ock's head go clear and he no longer was hearing the voices of the tentacles, which was really cool. So his character was the most interesting as a character for villain. For me, the best villain though, because Doc Ock is only a villain for half of his screen time. The best villain for me was Willem Dafoe's Green Goblin. He was good, but he was predictable. Really? Yeah, because I saw, like, from the moment that they introduced him and to uh, Spider-Man's aunt there. Uh, aunt May. Aunt May. In that, uh, that little warehouse or whatever they were in where they were doing the soup kitchen. As soon as they introduced them, I'm like, okay, he's going to betray them. Mm. Like, they, they made him so vulnerable and so meek and meager but you always know like he's not green goblin's gonna snap back exactly yeah i do that too i'm just glad he was that villain from the beginning i just thought it was interesting that in the beginning he was just kind of like a homeless man that was kind of crazy but he was the beginning of the villain because when he first showed up he bombed spider-man for no apparent reason at the very beginning yeah but there was a decent portion where he was just basically a homeless man that lost his direction and I like that. And I knew that he was not going to be like that the whole way. But when he finally snapped, I was like, damn, this is good. Willem Dafoe, he shows how well he can play that character and why no one should ever replace him as Green Goblin. But you can say the same thing about Doc Ock and you can yeah. say the same thing about Sandman. They played their characters really well. Yes. There's not going to be another Doc Ock. Alfred Molina that plays him does such a good job of making that character more than just evil. He's just someone that lost his way also because the tentacles kind of influenced him. And he's a smart guy who had a good cause that he wanted to do. And he just had a lot of fuck ups along the way. Sam, man, I disagree with though. I don't know. He's perfect. He hmm. is literally a criminal who got put into jail, who gained superpowers. Yes. All he really wants to, as he said a million times, is go see his daughter. Agreed. And then... He gets either roped into doing something bad by someone mm. else, or he does something bad because, you know, he's an ex-criminal. That's what he knows best. And then Spider-Man comes to whoop him, and he's like, okay, now I've got to deal with this situation. And that's why he's the best villain by far, not James Franco's Green Goblin, not Venom from Spider-Man 3. He's by far the best because he's a balanced character. At the beginning of the movie, he just wants to go back to his daughter. Evo is on the run from the law. At the end of the movie... Spider-Man doesn't even really beat him. He sort of does. He doesn't go to jail or anything. He's just like, I'm going to go back to my daughter. And he just like, peace out into the wind. Yeah. In this movie, he's just a background character. Okay, yeah, he was. He wasn't yeah. used properly, but that's the same thing with Electrode. He was yeah. used properly. And honestly, the, the salamander guy. Lizard, yeah. Lizard. So he definitely wasn't. those three were not used as well, except a little bit better with Electro because... You didn't see it, but in Amazing Spider-Man 2, uh, Jamie Foxx, or is it Jamie Foxx? Is that his name? I think it's Jamie Foxx. Uh, he didn't like how his character was done in that movie because he was he was a real goofball. Like, they gave him really big buck teeth. He, was like, had a shitty, like, comb-over haircut. He wore glasses. He was, like, a stereotypical nerd, kind of like how Jim Carrey's nerd was in the Batman movie where he eventually turns into a Riddler. Oh, okay. He's kind of like that. And in this, they even make jokes about like, oh, you got a makeover because in this, he looks, he looks like a badass. Yeah. 
Um, also in the I mean Spider-Man 2, he was blue, and he didn't like being a character that was just all blue like a Smurf. In this, he got to wear a pretty cool uniform, a normal like outfit, and he got to like shock the hell out of people, and he got like some cool like Stark tech upgrades on him. So even though he's not in the movie a ton, and he doesn't have like the best lines, he's just kind of like actually I thought his lines were easily the best by all the the villains, yeah. sub villains. Sure, because honestly, in my opinion, Doc Ock and and uh, Green Goblin were the the star villains. Yeah, they really are. The other three were background. But out of the three backgrounds, he got the best dialogue. Definitely. And honestly, I, I've never seen his original costume or whatever, but I think he looked amazing. And but I just, I love Sandman's, like, storyline. Like, the mm. fact that he honestly was ready to help Spider-Man. He was. He was. He was basically an anti-hero from the start, and he didn't stop that. He never, like, wanted it until Spider-Man was threatening, basically, to kind of kill him or send him off to be killed. Like, until that point came, like, he was ready to help and do whatever it took to help Spider-Man just so he could go home to see his daughter. Mm. That's what I like about Sandman, why I like his character in general. Sure. Um, I will say he wasn't used properly in this, but there was three characters that weren't used properly in this, so I won't go into that. There's five. It's going to be tough to manage all of them, yeah. Yeah. That's fair. But I feel like in all of them, Evo, some are used more than others. They did a pretty good job with all of them. Yeah. Evo, I wish they used the actor who played Sandman from the original more they show him at the very end of the movie when he no longer be his like Sandman. they like hit him with some kind of potion thing that turns him back yeah i wish they used him throughout the movie because for majority of it he's just like a silhouette yeah just a, a sand, sand silhouette yeah, yeah. which kind of looks like the guy but not really yeah yeah and it probably would have been very expensive to have all the spider-mans all the villains like at least with the lizard they just paid the guy for his voice even they paid Sandman for his voice, except for that end scene. I think this should have been a high enough budget to do that. Like, yeah. this film, they put that much effort into it. Why not go all the way? It's probably a situation that they had the money. It's they, just that maybe the actor's schedules were like, we can't do this. We can show up for a day to do the voice work, and I can film that really quick cameo scene. That's true. But I'm doing a movie or TV show or whatever. That's, that's something that's impressive about this movie is that they were able to get most of the big players in this, besides the ones who are already in the other Spider-Man movies, the Mar new Marvel ones in this, it balancing everyone's schedule is very tough, and they were able to pull it off, which is kind of amazing. They did get five, which is impressive. Why well, not Sinister Six? Well, okay, why not Sinister Six, but also why not at least one of the villains from... The new Spider-Man. Yeah, I was waiting the whole time for Mysterio to show back up because Mysterio been fucking shit up. He's the whole reason for all this because he screwed the Spider-Man to the point everyone knows his secret identity stuff. I thought because he's an illusion master, he never really died. I thought he never really died from the, I think it was not far from home, um, away from home. They're very confusing titles, these new ones. I thought that he never really died and he's going to show back up in this. So I was kind of surprised that there was these spider-man villains from the movies but not this one or even michael keaton's vulture still alive he's gonna show up in that morbius movie yeah yeah why not use at least one of them yeah i was kind of shocked because the sinister six people were waiting for so long to get that sinister six at one point sony even wanted to do a sinister six movie before i mean they just fucked shit up but surprised that they didn't just add one more villain to complete the six we didn't officially get the Sinister Six, even though he wasn't useful, because Venom showed up. Oh, so yeah, sort of, yeah. He was in Miami, or 
some sort of island country. Yeah. He's somewhere, somewhere tropical. Doesn't matter. But he like he wasn't useful at all. Mm. And he didn't do anything. And they got the wrong Venom. We'll get into that later. I do like the villains. I just, I wish at least one, if not multiple ones from the new Spider-Man, because he's our star. And it's like, yeah, mm. I understand you wanting to help your villains, but like you supposedly, even though he didn't, but you supposedly just killed Mysterio. Why not try to save one of your own villains? Yeah. I'm surprised Vulture didn't come in. Also, there's an after credit scene in the first new Spider-Man one where they introduce a character that's a scorpion tattoo in his neck. Why not bring the character Scorpion in? That would be a fresh new villain with these ones from the old Spider-Man movies. I thought that would be good. But I digress. It's a little disappointing, but we still get five villains from our other Spider-Man movies. Alfred Molina's Doc Ock is awesome. Will, for me, Willem Dafoe stole the show. He was so creepy. His laugh, his lines, when he's fucking body slamming... Uh, Tom Holland Spider-Man into the floor with some like WWE wrestling moves, smashing him through the floorboard. He kills Aunt May. At the end, him and Tom Holland have a very pretty brutal fight. I thought he kind of like stole the show. And I love Alfred Molina as Doc Ock. And he had a more well-rounded character. I was really disappointed though that Spider-Man used Stark Tech to very easily neutralize him. Alright. His defeat was kind of weak. Not going to lie, especially because he knew about nanotechnology beforehand. So he should have had some sort of way to deal with it. But I'll I guess. Yeah, that was kind of weak. Again, my only problem with Willie Defoe, I will say he was an amazing actor. He played his role spectacularly. And also the Green Goblin was menacing, even though I was kind of disappointed he lost his mask at the very beginning. And we didn't get to see the, the cool mask by the end mm. of it. My biggest thing was like, I knew exactly when he was going to turn. Like sure. When the Green Goblin was going to come back. I knew exactly when that was going to happen, and that was a bit of a letdown. I kind of wanted to be surprised. Yeah. Yeah, I kind of saw it going up. It kind of added to the anxiety that I knew he was going to switch at some point, and Spider-Man was kind of being a dumbass. This movie does a lot of things very good. A lot of things very good. It's a good movie. A lot of people are making this to be a perfect Spider-Man movie. It's not. It's not. I'm going to jump into, I'm going to talk into some things about why this movie's not perfect and why there's some things that annoy me. Although, though, I'm still going to give this movie a great for, as a Spider-Man fan, I would call it even, maybe even Kino. As a movie, though, good, great, probably great. It's, it's really good. Now let me talk about things that annoyed me. Because no movie is perfect, especially a major blockbuster like this. Spider-Man and the Spider-Verse. Spider-Man Spider-Verse is a perfect movie because it doesn't revolve around nostalgia so hard. It invents new characters, and even when it brings back other Spider-Man, if it has a Spider-Man of its own, that Spider-Man is new in that it is basically a, uh, he's kind of like, he's not an alcoholic, but he's a deadbeat Spider-Man. Yeah, he's, he's been through some stuff. He's, I guess, equivalent to what the, uh, was the first Spider-Man there? Uh, Tobey Maguire? Tobey Maguire. It'd be equivalent to his Spider-Man, but even more trashy. Yeah. Like him 10 years in the future after the last one, if like Mary Jane died and he decided to stop being Spider-Man. It would be kind of like that. And that movie works because there's a lot of new characters, new villains, new, uh, and it focuses on a plot that is very character oriented. Now let's talk about the things that I did not like about this movie. 
but still a very good movie. One, this was a problem since the first Spider-Man, Spider-Man Homecoming that came out, which you have not seen. I've always had problems with how this Spider-Man is equally a fucking dumbass and also a genius. <laughs> a genius in that he's really good at inventing things. He's also a fucking dumbass. The reasons for these portals to open up, all these villains to show up, is the dumbest excuse I've ever seen. He's also a dumbass, but not putting all the blame on him because Doctor Strange is a fucking idiot. <laughs> Why would you do such an intense spell just to wipe out some minds of people just because he couldn't get into MIT? That really sucks for him. Oh. He should learn from that, though. And he does. That is his character arc throughout the movie that he learns at the end of the movie, and he suffers the consequence for it. It's a very good arc. But at the beginning of the movie, and when he keeps interrupting Doctor Strange's spell, god damn, this kid is dumb. And if you want to go down that route that he's a silly high schooler, fine. But you also can't later in the movie go into how smart the kid is also. And how much of a good inventor it is to a point that he can make up magical potions and equipment to turn the bad guys into good guys. Okay, I could, uh, even though it was kind of weird, when he was in Lucky's apartment, I could almost understand the whole magic potion thing because, you know, he had Stark tech, you know, mm. really advanced equipment. When they were doing it the second time, they were li literally in a, like a school fucking, like, science room. Yeah. And they were making these amazing potions that could stop the Sandman and Green Goblin. That was beyond belief. Yes. Uh, I will agree with you. Uh, all right, he's a dumbass, but I will furthermore agree with you. Doctor Strange was more of a dumbass. <laughs> yes. Because he is a man that knows magic can fuck up your entire life. Mm. Uh, I know you haven't seen, which you have to see. I'm sorry. You have to see What If. Marvel's What If. Um, because, like, this is a man who literally knows what will happen if you mess with magic in the wrong way. And he allows Peter Parker to change his spell six times or five times, whatever it was. I don't remember. It doesn't yeah. matter. He allows him to change it and he just keeps going. He's like, yeah, okay, I'll change it. And it's like, no, 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 no. You do not change the spell. You know this better than anyone. You never change the spell. It's magic. What humans know so little about. Mm. And he just allows him to do it. And I'm like, no, 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 don't be a fucking dumbass. That is true, though, that you maybe shouldn't put the full blame on Parker, considering that he is in a bad situation. He just, and he doesn't know magic pretty well. He's just a kid. He asks a question, and Doctor Strange is like, yeah, I can do that. It's like, okay, if you can do magic, and you can do that. Amazing. But when you're allowing a teenage kid that knows nothing about magic to tell you how to do your magic spell, end it. Just end it. Yeah, definitely. So, yeah, definitely his fault. Um... Another thing I have an issue with, and this is a theme since the first Amazing Spider-Man, not Amazing, uh, Spider-Man movie from Marvel. They rely way too much on Stark tech. I like Spider-Man so in that much. he is a smart kid, and they show that in the, I think they show that in the Tobey Maguire ones a little bit, and they show it very well in the Amazing Spider-Man movies, as not good as they are. He's very smart. But, in this, he relies way too much. His suit is Stark tech, and it enables him to very easily defeat Dr. Octopus without really defeating him on his own. You basically should chalk up a win for Tony Stark in that category. <laughs> Throughout the movie, dead, it's a yeah. constant theme that Stark tech always helps him out. And you haven't seen other ones, but 
that is a major theme of the first two as well, is yeah. that he is some kind of technology. And both of the villains, Vulture in the first one, Mysterio in the second one, they hate Tony Stark for something that Tony Stark did to them. Yep. Mysterio, he invented some cool technology that Tony Stark took credit for and gave it, it a stupid name. It was like BARF or something, an acronym that said BARF, B-A-R-F. And he got really pissed off, and he started making his own stuff to get back at Tony Stark. And then he basically took over, and he got these special glasses that can control these drones, and he was able to manipulate Peter Parker into taking his glasses that Tony Stark gave him permission to use. Tony Stark is, for being only in the first one and being dead for most of these movies, he's in it way too much. Mm. He And people make jokes about Spider-Boy, or no, I'm sorry, Iron Man Jr. Even in this movie... There's, like, some of a sign that says, like, Iron Man Jr. Kind of poking fun at that. But he should be Spider-Man more not so heavily connected to the MCU's biggest character. And that is something that annoys me. But on the right hand, you could chalk it up to, this is a multiverse. Andrew Garfield's one was very unique. Tobey Maguire's very unique. This is very unique. I may not like Flash Thompson from this version, where he's just kind of a, a douchebag kid. He's the one who piggybacks off saying that I'm Spider-Man's best friend. Oh, okay. I probably like the more comic book accurate one from Tobey Maguire, where he's just basically a bully, a jackass bully. But this is a multiverse. They can have different versions of it. There's nothing wrong with that. But since this is the most recent one, and he's getting multiple movies, we're probably going to see him in more movies. No, we've seen him in more movies at this point. We will ever see Tobey Maguire and Andrew Garfield. It's a little annoying that he relies so heavily off Iron Man. <sighs> I'll give you that. It it was very much Stark Tech Saves the Day, and you could very much see that in the scene where uh, Aunt May dies. It's like that's all they're using is this big Stark, Be- Stark, Stark Tech cube, which I don't even know what the hell it is. It's like made magic potions and did all kinds of stuff. <laughs> Didn't understand it all. Don't yeah. know how they did. Yeah. Um, And that was another thing that uh, was Andrew Garfield literally said how he built his own uh, web shooters. Yep. To, uh, the the new Spider-Man, the, the most recent one. Tom Holland. Yeah. He didn't say how he built them. He somehow made them before he met Stark, because that's the only thing he had before he met Stark was super strength and webs. That was it. But he didn't say how he did it. He's like, yeah, I just have them. I just have web shooters. Cool. But yeah. yours come out of your hand, because they were talking about the Tobey Maguire one, and that's awkward somehow. Yeah. Um. Yeah, and I just... It, it felt like he could have done so much more with with his own smarts and with his own technology. He wanted to get him to MIT, and he's a very smart person, despite how he acted rather dumb most of the time. <laughs> yeah, that's fair. Um, but yeah, he he should have and could have done better like than just relying on Stark. I understand Tony Stark's a big part of this universe. Like We all get Robert Downey Jr. is a very good actor. He played the role very well. He's had a very big impact on the universe. But Definitely. At some point, you got to strike out on your own. I mean, the man, or, well, the character is literally dead. <laughs> yeah. You can't rely on him for the rest of your life. Mm. I guess he's got Happy, but Happy can only steal so much Stark tech. Yeah, exactly. Now let's get back into things we liked about the movie. I really, uh, going back to Andrew Garfield. Andrew Garfield was, for a lot of people, including myself, our least favorite Spider-Man. Because he happened to be in by far the worst Spider-Man movies. Uh, Spider-Man, Amazing Spider-Man 1 was pretty dull because it was just a darker version of Tobey Maguire's Spider-Man movie. And then they did a lighter darker? version. How yeah, do you darker. Do darker? It's darker in that it's not really fun. Oh. 
okay. and it's serious, but it's not fun. And then I mean, Spider-Man 2 was more fun, but it was just really bad because they had way too much plot lines. The villains were way too goofy. It was like something that was made in like the 90s. Yep. Like, you know, like Arnold Schwarzenegger's Mr. Freeze or something stupid like that. But Andrew Garfield has always loved this character, and he was sad that he never got to work more as this character. Even when he was a kid, Spider-Man was his favorite character, and he was sad that he even said in an interview that he realized too late he was making Spider-Man movies he wanted, obviously, to make the best Spider-Man movies possible. He eventually learned that behind doors, they want to make a movie that made the most money. Yeah. So That's, he wanted to be the best actor for the role. They didn't want to make the best movie to fit that actor. Kind of. They want to make the movie. It's not they didn't want to make a, a good movie. No, no, it, no. They want to make a movie that made money. I'm saying they didn't want to make a movie that fit that actor. Yeah, sure. In Which this, they didn't. I was surprised. He was kind of my favorite. Uh, Tom Holland was greatness. I thought Tobey Maguire was going to be far my favorite one. Because I grew up with it, as a lot of people did, with the Tobey Maguire Spider-Man movies. I love Andrew Garfield in this. He has one super good scene where he saves the new version, Mary Jane. If oh, he you saw redemption. his redemption. Because in Amazing Spider-Man 2, he does not save Gwen Stacy and she dies. And that's a major turn point for him. And that's by far the best scene in Amazing Spider-Man 2. Because it's the one, like, one scene that connected to the comics. And it's one serious scene. And it was actually done very well. And this one, he actually saves mary jane and he redeems himself and like she's like you okay as he's like basically crying i was like damn that was amazing scene and also his banter of everyone was really good i will say as far as like dialogue wise he was the best Mm. tommy mcguire again to me he felt like uh from spider-man or the the spider-verse he felt like the the kind of drunk alcoholic kind of. <laughs> I don't think he. We keep saying alcoholic. I don't think they ever make Deadbeat. a mention that he drinks anything, but he does have that beer belly in that movie. He does. Uh, the the deadbeat yeah. kind of Spider Man. He feels like that. He feels like he's been dated, but he's still good. Like he's good at his job. He's just been around the block few too many times. Sure. Beat the crap out of one too many Falcons or not Falcon, uh, vultures. Um, that's kind of what he feels like. He's still a good character. Don't get me wrong. And I still like him. Actually, I liked him better than this than I did in any of the Spider-Mans he was in. Exception mm. of the third one. Um, so I, would, I will say he was great. And I will say Tom Holland was okay, even though his character was really, really stupid. But yeah, I will agree. Andrew Garfield was easily the best Spider-Man for his dialogue and just charismaticness. He was and- charismatic in this. I just, I liked him. I don't know why. I liked him so much. I like Tobey Maguire in this, but I wish they just let the actor do an old man Logan version of Spider-Man. Because mm. the de-aging CGI on him, it made him look weird. At least for me. It, a bit, I didn't notice it too much, but again, I was focusing on other stuff. Sure, fair enough. Uh, Willem Dafoe's Green Goblin, I thought the CGI on him looked really good. It made him look just like from the original one. Doctor Doctor was kind of the same too. Tobey Maguire's distracting me because it looked like he was almost not that he was not there, but like definitely there was some work done on him. I wish they just, because Andrew Garfield he still looks the same from like those amazing Spider-Man movies, so they just left him the same. I wish they did that with Tobey Maguire because when all three Spider-Mans were in the room, I kind of felt like one of them was a little bit 
a little bit edited over, let's say. At least for me. All right, yeah. In compare, standing, seeing all of them, and actually even seeing him, seeing him standing next to another human being, you could tell there was CGI there, mm. which you almost even in comparison to uh, the Green Goblin, like uh, William Defoe, like, yeah. Even them standing by, I noticed his CGI more than I noticed William Defoe's. Oh, definitely, yeah. I don't know why, because like, yeah, William Defoe's is way better, at least for me. Yeah, maybe it just doesn't work as well for Tobey Maguire, or maybe it's just because he just looks like a weird dude now. I don't know. But we're going back on things that we really liked. Uh, the when all three Serenians are together, they had great banter, and it was great to see them all together and talking to each other. Um, I like their scene that they're talking about how uh, Spider-Man can shoot out of his naturally, and they're like, "Whoa, how are you able to do that?" And at one point, Andrew Garfield like says, "Like, because like Tobey Maguire's like, I fought a black alien." Um, Tom Holland's like, I fought a purple alien in space. And they're like, yo, that's so cool. And then Andrew Garfield's like, I haven't fought any aliens. I'm kind of lame. And I kind of saw it as like, you know, my movies weren't the best. So I'm kind of the lame Spider-Man. Because most people don't see him as the best Spider-Man out of the three. And they're like, no, you're, say it. You're an awesome, you're awesome. You're not lame. I love that. They're like, all their banter together was really good. It was fun. Yeah, I mean, even though it wasn't my favorite part, like that whole scene where they're doing like, all right. I'm the leader. I'm number one Spider-Man. Yeah. Uh, it was Tom Holland's. And then number two was Andrew, uh, not Andrew Garfield. Uh, sorry. Tom McGuire. Tom McGuire's. And then number three was Andrew Garfield. They should have done it, though, by the new, they should have done it, Tom, uh, Tom McGuire one, because he was the first one, Andrew Garfield yeah. two, three. It's probably popularity-wise. Yeah, probably. Unfortunately. <laughs> um, Despite, uh, yeah, despite one being better than the other, it doesn't matter. But, yeah, so I think that's why they did it. And again, it's that whole reference to like you were the worst Spider-Man, even though you really weren't. Mm. Um, but yeah, no, their banter was great. I love every minute of their banter. Yeah. I liked Andrew Garfield at the end sitting down with Electro and basically having a talk over with him. Like this movie, usually the villains and the heroes don't connect as much as they do, but in this like Tom Holland it really works hard to connect with every single villain because he doesn't want them to die. And this is kind of a thing that I'm curious what you thought because this for me was a positive and negative thing. The positive is that Tom Holland does Spider-Man thing and that he's a good person and he does try to save these guys from dying. Even though Doctor Strange is like, no, that's not your problem. Just send them back. And he does. He works so hard to send them back without dying. And he does accomplish that in the end. The negative thing I look at it as is that it's kind of dumb and i like evil cliche i like villains being villains spider-man has such a great roster of villains i want him to fight all the villains and they're villains he has to defeat them because they're villains it is though making them more well-rounded in that villains are villains because especially with this case one fell in a thing full of electric eels. One just went crazy because of chemicals in him. Another one because the chip in the back of his head controlling the tentacle arms. I like that. And it adds more to his arc because he learns he kind of messed up with that because his Aunt May dies only because he didn't just send them back to where they came from. If he, did, if he didn't try to be a good person and save them, his Aunt May would be alive. With great power, power comes great responsibility. And I think that was a really good arc. On the other hand, I wish they were just villains. At the end, they all kind of have a nice chat with each other, the villains, before going back home. 
it makes it not cliche. On the other hand, I kind of like villains just being villains. I yeah. want to hear your opinion, though. I like it if you can understand that villains will be villains. So I'm under the impression Green Goblin will never really change. There will always be a part of Green Goblin inside William Defoe's What's his name? Uh, Norman Osborn. Norman Osborn. There will always be a part of him. Even if you do this magical serum that cures Yeah, I know. Disease, that was kind of silly. It was really stupid. There will always be a part of Green Goblin in there, no matter what. You can't get rid of a, a subconscious person. And the thing with Electrode, even though he had amazing powers, he was a bit of a dickhead. Like, yeah. he just wanted power. And the same thing with Lizard. He just wanted to turn humanity into lizards. Into lizards, yeah. So if you send them back as a human, he's just going to try to turn humanity into lizards again. Electrode, now that he understands he can gain powers, he's just going to dump into a, a bat of eels. Yeah. Like, I understand wanting to fix them. Doc Ock especially. Doc Ock and Sandman. Yeah. They just want to... Sandman just wants to go home and see his daughter. Doc Ock is literally just a scientist who screwed up. Yeah. They're just human. Fixing them and making them better would have been amazing because that would have been a bit of redemption for him. But trying to fix every single one, despite the fact knowing some of them just want to be evil or just want power or just want to be a dickhead, (laughs) like, let them be with them and fight them and throw them in jail. Sure. It's the same thing. Like, if Batman tried to fix Joker, you can't fix him, but you can try and then you get somebody killed in the process. Which is kind of a theme for Batman is that he never kills Joker. He just throws him in jail. And because of that, people keep dying. Yeah. But again, then he escapes. Like, if there was some way to hold Joker in jail forever, no one would keep dying. Mm. And that's, I think that's that whole thing with this. Like, three of the villains should have been, okay, we accept you're just going to be villains. No matter what we do to try to fix you, your mindset is villain. And that's all you're ever going to be. You you can't physically like change your personality. Yeah. That's all like Green Goblin was, was like split personality. Um, And like the other two were just kind of dickheads. But trying to save Oc- Doc Ock and Sandman that I was fine. Okay with that. And they should have saved them and sent them back to the universe completely normal. But it should have been that whole thing. Like you can't save everyone. You have to let people be who they are because. That's that's what they're just life. You can't change their personality. You can just change that they have superpowers, I guess. Yeah. I like Mary Jane in this a lot, actually. Uh, Zendaya does, although she identifies more as Michelle Jones. She's not the typical Mary Jane. She's Mary Jane in essence. I okay. like her role in this. Yeah. Um, she's, uh, I don't want to see the word quirky. But uh, she's not – Kristen Dunst's Mary Jane from the original one was just kind of the love interest bimbo who was kind of a bitch. Like she was like – kept cheating on different characters. She kept going. She kept alternating between Tobey Maguire's Peter Parker, uh, Jane Franco's Harry Osborn, another character in the third one. She kept bouncing around. She was just kind of a love interest. And this Michelle Jones has a lot of personality, a lot I think all the yeah the her, his friend Ned yeah Ned, I like Ned in this too he's funny. bully even though he's weird has got personality yeah he's not just stereotypical and, like bully yeah that he's he, often portrayed as yeah like he he's a dickhead but like he's smart about it um and MJ she's great 
all of them were great and they all tied in very well to I don't know his name, but the new Spider-Man. Uh, Tom Holland's Spider-Man. Also, a thing with the new ones is that they don't have Ben, uh, not Ben Parker. Uh, they don't have Uncle Ben in it. We don't see him die in Amazing Spider-Man and Spider-Man. We have the origin story where Ben dies. And that's a major turn point for him. And this, we don't see that. Partially, that's a good thing because we don't need to see the same thing three times. It's just like I don't need to see the same Batman origin story every time. But we don't see it. We Ever. But in this one, they finally redeem it for me because you don't need Ben Parker to do the Ben Parker storyline. They instead use Aunt May. Okay. She says the line. She says, great power. With great power comes great responsibility. I think they changed it a little bit. And she dies and makes uh, Peter Parker enraged to a point that he almost wants to kill Green Goblin. They all have different role models that kind of fill these roles. I was actually really glad they gave Aunt May something more to do as what, she was. die? <laughs> That's something more to do, just die? Eh, kind of. But, like, you know, she has a good scene with him, and she's more than just a quirky aunt. The only thing that it takes away from me from this is what gave him motivation to start. Because with sure. Tobey Maguire's uh, Spider-Man, that's how he became Spider-Man. Was with the death Uncle of ben Uncle died. Ben. Yeah, that is a fair point. Like, so we we know Spider Man's in this universe. We know he's been here for years. He's been here since I'm assuming pretty close to middle school because he's done it since he's a teenager. What got him started in it? Sure, no, that's definitely a fair point. But I think this is a good final wrap up because I don't know if I want to see the same origin story in the same first movie for every three Spider-Mans. No, I definitely don't, but I just I want to know what got him started Got him now. into it. No, definitely, because when Spider-Man is introduced, he's only introduced in Captain America Civil War. Tony Stark basically meets him, and they kind of like throw him in quickly, because there's a lot of characters introduced in that movie. But we don't really see, besides seeing like a video clip of him like in a shitty Spider-Man costume webbing around, we don't learn anything about his origin, really. Yep. We're able to assume we know Spider-Bite and everything like that. We don't really know. So, yeah, no, that's a fair point. Yeah, but, like, I understand Spider-Bite. Like, that's that's what gets you to become superhero. But, like, are you inspired by the superheroes that exist? Like, like what gives you your motivation is my question. Which they don't explain. A little bit sad. But I'm, I'm okay with it. It's fine. And I do like, even though it's a bit sad because I really liked uh aunt may is a character it's kind of sad to see her die yeah it was that's why for the first half of the movie i was not really liking tom holland spider-man a ton i thought he was kind of an idiot and i don't know he was just being too nice once his aunt may dies he becomes almost a more brutal version or at least he's like torn up and by the end not only does he almost kill green goblin he has to make a tough choice and he allows his girlfriend and best friend's minds to be erased in order to save the world. And I thought that was such a great ending to the movie and a great conclusion. And he doesn't even try to convince them that he knows them. So the first half of the movie, I didn't really like him. The second half, he redeems it. And going from seeing him in the first Spider-Man Homecoming, or I guess Captain America Civil War to this, he really has the perfect arc of going from Spider-Boy to Spider-Man which is what I really liked. Uh, going to Camus nostalgia-based things, this is not really so much nostalgia, but what did you think about our boy, Matty Matt Murdock, Daredevil, showing up in a surprise cameo role for a scene? 
I thought it was, first of all, very nice because, of course, we just, before this, watched uh, the, was it, fourth or fifth episode of Hawkeye. Hawkeye. And we got to see, potentially, again, not confirmed, but potentially Kingpin. Kingpin. You know, a very clip scene. And then they introduced Matt Murdock in this movie. And I was like, perfect timing. Perfect setup. It really was. He comes in as a lawyer. And I was like, this is a great scene. We're going to see him as Matt Murdock. We're not going to see him as Daryl, but that's okay. And then he catches a brick that's coming in through to, like, I guess, knock him out or something. It was like a warning brick. He just catches it. And they're like, what the fuck? And they're like, how do you do that? And he's a good line. He's like, because I'm a really good lawyer. <laughs> that was a great line. Yeah. My one downside is to like, I almost wish there was a court case where we could have seen a bit more about, because I, I love the, the actor that plays him. I wish we would have seen a bit more of Daredevil. Yeah. Know? Yeah. Seeing him do another court case as uh, people are trying to prosecute Spider-Man would have been really good, but even I'm he, very happy for the yeah. scene that we got. Like, even if he was representing Lucky, I would have been fine with it. Um, but yeah, no, he was amazing, and that 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 brick scene was just awesome because like Spider Man is amazed by this, and we of course know, mm. but then you see Spider Man's look of confusion. Yeah, as and, his blind lawyer just yeah. backwards catches a brick that he can somehow not see but feel the force. Yeah, I don't know. It was awesome. I loved it. Cannot wait for another Matt Murdock scene in future because I hope he comes back. I hope they bring him back very soon. Um, another one scene cameo, Venom shows up in the very end of the movie. Uh, he's in it. Didn't like the scene as much as Matt Murdock's, but I've been waiting years to see Daredevil come back. It's kind of cool seeing Venom pulled in here, but then he's pulled back to his own universe? How has that happened? Well, they're all pulled back, remember? Oh, okay, that makes sense, yeah. Yeah. The other villains were pulled in, so Venom yeah. was too. He's kind of a humorous scene with a bartender where he's kind of going crazy because he's in a different universe with Thanos and stuff. And he's like, what? This doesn't make any sense. This is also tying to the scene from the end of uh, Venom, Let There Be Carnage. Yeah, it is. When he sees Spider-Man and he says, I'm going to go after that guy. Yeah. But then he doesn't. He doesn't get to do that. Also, it's the wrong Venom. What do you mean? So... If I'm correct in this, again, the Sony universe is a bit screwy for me because I don't yeah. watch Spider-Man. His universe, the the Venom from uh, Tom Hardy's universe, there is no Spider-Man, if I'm correct. I don't think they make a direct reference. You're right. Exactly. Or to anything besides Venom. Like, no villains, nothing. It's just the symbiotes. That's all there is in that universe. And... The only Venom, because they say that everyone that's brought into the universe knows who Peter Parker, knows that Peter Parker is Spider-Man. The only people that would know that would be the villains that were brought in and Venom from the Tobey Maguire universe. True. They didn't bring that Venom in. No. They brought this other Venom, the Tom Hardy Venom. that Who we... doesn't know Spider-Man. Exactly. So they contradicted themselves using that one scene. Yeah, because they said... All the villains are pulled in because they know Spider-Man. But Venom doesn't know Spider-Man. Yeah. So how's he pulled in? Just because they wanted to bring plot Venom armor. in? Plot armor, I guess. Yeah. Kind of weak plot armor, but yeah. But again, it's a whole thing. You could use the Venom from... I mean, again, it would add another villain, which would have brought us to Sinister Six. Yeah, I know. From well, the some Tom people thought they were going to use Venom as a sixth villain. 
Yeah, which again, they implied from Let There Be Carnage because he's like, oh, I'm going to go after that guy. But yeah, so they could have used the the Tobey Maguire one and it would have made more sense. Got with the Sinister Six and been perfect. But instead they bring us the Tom Hardy one that has no tie-in, doesn't understand what he's doing and doesn't know anything about Jack. Yeah. Which was my one downside. You know, that's something disappointing though about the Venom universe is that he's in San Francisco, so it's a perfect excuse for him not to know about Spider-Man, who's on the other side of the country, but in that universe, he's not in it, which is kind of sad because it would make sense that at the end of the second Venom movie, he hears about Spider-Man and then he goes across the country to meet him. What's the purpose of having him in San Francisco besides being a little bit more interested that it's not based in New York again? Yeah. But he's in San Francisco. I thought there was a perfect explanation about why the Venom verse is over there and all the other shit is on the other side of the world. Or yeah. the world, the United States. <laughs> well, for Americans, it's the other side of the world. Pretty much. Um, um, so that was kind of weird. But yeah. And also, they drop a little bit of symbiote at the very end when Venom disappears. So they're implying that there's going to be an MCU Venom. Venom. And are they going to just do like the multiverse thing that another Tom Hardy will get it because Tom Hardy is always, or Eddie Brock, I should say, is always supposed to be Venom, or they just go in the future, choose someone else. It, but if you know. go off the Spider-Mans, which have always been different people per universe, in theory, uh, Tom Hardy wouldn't be that character anymore. It'd be a new guy. Yeah, it'd be a new, new actor. Gal. Yeah, or a new gal, whatever. Um, yeah, d- <sighs> that's what I don't get, and I don't understand, I don't know. Again, they could use Tom Hardy. They could just pay him some more money and be like, okay, you're going to be the same character in this universe now for whatever reason. I just wish there was some tie-in. I wish, like, yeah, if even this this Venom, the one in San Francisco, was part of, uh, I forget his name, but the, the middle Spider-Man, the one between Tobey Maguire. Oh, Andrew Garfield. The Andrew Garfield Spider-Man. Like, if even just a little bit of time, even if they just mentioned him in his, that part. And then they would give him his own alien to fight. Exactly. Is one alien that he didn't fight, but would eventually get the chance to in some universe that doesn't exist. Yeah. <laughs> um. But yeah, it'd be like, just give us some tie-in. But no, no tie-in. Cameo. He's there. He drops a bit of symbiote that doesn't make any sense why he'd be there. And then he dips out. Yeah. That was the, the rest of the scenes, for the most part, they find some decent explanation of why it happened. That Venom scene was the one that I felt like it was like a Sony, like, hey, we should put this in to connect our universe a little bit more, even though they're not connected. That was the one scene I was like, this is kind of a weak scene. Um, speaking of post-credit scenes, uh, what do you think about the final post-credit scene, which is not really a post-credit scene. It's more of like a trailer to... It basically was. Um, till the Multiverse of Madness. Yeah. Doctor, no, next Doctor Strange movie. Yeah. Yeah. Multiverse of Madness. It, I mean, it looked good. I just... I don't know yet because I, I don't know if I got enough to get I have a very clear image in my head of what I want to see in the multiverse multiverse of madness. I literally want to see the devil show up because I yeah. love, I, I don't know if you know this or not. I love the magical aspects of all these universes. I love Constantine from the DC one and I kind of like Dr. Strange, but there's a few other characters I like more, but I like the, the magical aspect mixed in with the superhero stuff. Yeah. And I really like the fact that the devil is a part of the the literal, the demon, the, the one who rules over hell. I like that he's a part of this universe, and I like witches. Uh, Agatha the Witch, I think, is a great character. I want to see more of the weird magical aspects brought in. 
Uh, one of my favorite was, uh, uh, was it the, the dark justice league or whatever it was? Oh yeah. Um, I like that stuff and I kind of want to see basically a dark justice league. I want to be some that dives into the deep, dark, like mystical part of this. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. It's a nice break from the more science, relatively science-based superhero stuff. Yeah. Go into magic, which actually this Spider-Man movie did fairly well because multiple times characters are like, magic? What are you talking about? They do mention that they don't use it enough. Besides the fact, add the fact that uh, Spider-Man's best friend, Nate. Ned. Ned can use magic now for yeah. whatever reason. Yeah. I guess family what genetics or whatever. Yeah, I don't know how magic works in this universe. Uh, maybe it's like metachlorians in the Star Wars universe that some people are born with it. That could be it. Was be it just of... because of the thing he has, the gauntlet thing around his fingers that he's able to do it? No, because even with people using like time, well, I guess time stones is a bit different, but most people using just like the technology that the the wizards have, I guess is what they're calling them. Like not everyone can use magic, I don't think. But yeah. it, it takes a certain person that has like a connection to it. I don't know. I, I don't know all the details of magic. Again, I want to learn. And again, I like the the fact that there's the devil. And I really want to see him as being a big part of it. But I didn't see any like fiery gates of hell or anything. I saw some black kind of uh, mist or like ghostly presence around. I don't know what that's going to mean. It could, sure. Maybe they're just going to bring in characters from other universes. I don't know what they're going to do. It's multi-perverse madness. But they did show the dark, the dark Doctor Strange. Oh I yeah, love that was cool because he's a great character in What If. Oh, I'm glad to see that. Well, now Disney Plus, I need to watch those. All right, let's go on to next thing. Uh, give our review of this Spider-Man movie. I'm going to say it's great. Uh, definitely has multiple flaws, but all the fun parts of this movie and pulling the impossible of pulling Spider-Mans from other Spider-Man movies that in other multi- speaking of multiverses, if we're in different multiverses. Just most multiverses probably wouldn't have this movie. We're lucky to have this movie, and it's very good for all the characters. Doctor Strange in this movie, Ned, uh, Mary Jane, Aunt May, Happy, Daredevil, all the villains, all the Spider-Man movies, uh, Spider-Man characters, uh, or Spider-Men. We're very lucky with how this movie turned out. It's very good. I'm going to call it great. Yeah, I think... So this was one of Marvel's more like comedic... It was also very funny. It was very funny, and I liked that comedic to serious aspect ratio. Yeah. I really liked that, and I thought that movie, this movie did that very well. It so did. I will easily say this is great every day of the week. All right. That was our review. Great. Now let's move to our final review of Nightmare Alley. Not as big, obviously, as Spider-Man. We were literally the only three people in the theater watching it today. Yeah, it's kind of sad. Uh I don't know how much money he's going to make. He's probably going to make less than Ghostbusters just because it's not based off a famous IP. Way better, though, than Ghostbusters. Easily. Yeah. Uh, directed by, I'm going to fucking butcher his name, Guillermo de Toro, who directed Shape of the Water, uh, Hellboy movies, um, Pan's Labyrinth, which is an incredible movie. Every time I say his name, though, my girlfriend who's Spanish is like, what? What are you saying? Because I can't pronounce his name. He's a Mexican-born filmmaker, incredibly talented. Can't pronounce his name you should have her pronounce it every time for you i should i was thinking about getting like in like a sound bite of her saying his name properly even just playing it during the podcast anytime i want to say his name because i've said his name in other podcasts and i always butcher his name yeah like even more than i normally butcher names anyway his new movie uh nightmare alley is out 
and it's apparently based off a 1950 movie of the same name. I've never seen it, so I can't compare it. But uh, Bradley Cooper is the main character. Uh, Kate Blanchett's in it. Willem Dafoe, another Willem Dafoe movie we saw this weekend. Uh, he's true. in it. Uh, actually, good about famous actors. You know, obviously Bradley Cooper is the main character. Also, the guy who plays Hellboy. Uh, yeah, Ron Perlman's in it. Uh, he's got a little bit of a role in it, and uh, Richard Jenkins is in it. A couple of different people, but yeah, it's a good movie. I'm not gonna just jump into the plot because kind of the plot is kind of what makes the movie sort of. But it's yeah. kind of cool because you see 1930s and 40s carnivals, which I always love that time period of the old carnies and all it's the weird really stuff. Sketchy, and I love yeah, it, it is sketchy because like. like they're all kind of scumbags. Well, they're not necessarily scumbags. Just no, no, they are scumbags. Yeah. Well, a few of them are. <laughs> yeah. Like, they literally trapped this homeless man in a cage and, yep. like, fed him live chickens. Like, absolute scum. Yep. And th- that was a lot of the thing with carnies in the past was they exploited people's either disabilities or yeah. differences. So they'd call a crazy person who has Tourette's or ADHD. They'd be like, oh, this is a... Uh, freak yep. and they'd put them on display or people born with different deformities would plus or minus plus they get a job minus that they're paraded as freaks yeah and they're put on as circus acts basically so they were not a nice place to be and like just looking at this i as a child would be absolutely terrified to <laughs> yeah. go to any carnival in the 1930s but again in the 1930s and 40s this was the norm. This was entertainment. Yeah. One of the main forms, if not the only main form of entertainment. Yeah. So, like, as a child in my time, in the 1990s, I would be terrified of this. But if I lived in the 1930s, I'd be like, oh, yeah, this, this is normal. I'd, I'd do this every day of the week. I've always been fascinated by carnivals, partially because of that time period that they used so many kind of different kinds of people. And they all kind of work together as sort of a family. The aspect that kind of a nomad tribe moving from place to place. Also the fact that they have different tricks to manipulate people into giving their money. And that, what I liked about this movie is that they go into that a lot. Because Bradley Cooper wants to be the best carny, I guess you could say. He wants to use his abilities to learn how to read people and they go into that about how people pull off these tricks that we've probably seen before as magicians would do something similar and at least we've seen other movies of fortune tellers reading people and they go into explanations which are probably true and you're like oh that makes sense i never would think that the assistant would give verbal clues just based off the words that she said were not very obvious either. It's just by using the first letter of every word. It was very fascinating for me. Even though the movie's plot really only starts once he leaves the carnival, I really liked him learning, and as well as us, learning about these people using these different tricks to work at a carnival. Uh, was it the grifter aspect of it? Uh, where the, basically, where you become, you learn to become a con man, basically. I thought that was beautiful. Yeah. And again, I've always, I mean, you kind of understand by some point in your life that most carnivals and most like magic shows are basically cons, but like they're fun. They're entertainment. You, yeah. you enjoy the con. Um, but at the end of the day, you know what it is. Um, or you learn what it is over time, I guess. And like seeing the background of that, I will agree there and him learning about, about the background of that is awesome. And I, the beginning of this movie, was beautiful in my opinion. Like 
seeing the learning process and going through and like even just the the weird magic tricks like where the the girl was getting shocked with 10,000 volts of electricity i know yeah. it wasn't that much but um but like seeing her like control electricity with her body and like finding out that it's again it's just a con but like it takes practice and it takes elegance to do all this yeah. it's amazing it's a show that not only knowing how to do the trick but they're also putting on a show. They have to be charismatic and know how to play with a crowd. And you gotta, you've got to practice for this. You have to practice getting shocked by electricity for like half your life before you can be like, okay, I can be shocked by this much electricity without dying. Every single day. Yeah. That's impressive. And I really liked the sets. The sets were really awesome seeing this very well-built carnival. It wasn't just like showing a very small part of it. We basically got to see the character walk around and go into a lot of different tents. And we got to see, even we saw some characters that we didn't get to meet, like uh, a woman that pretended to be a spider woman. She had the head of a human, but the body of a spider. Yep. Obviously, she was just using her head. She just had her head stuck behind something or whatever. But we saw him witness that. If it him walk on to a different event, he walked by. His love interest was the girl who can fry herself with electricity. It was cool to see him walk around his carnival while we walked with him, seeing all these cool performances. But also get to see some of the background behind a few of them. Like the, yeah. the strongman one and the electricity one. Like yeah. you, get to see him, you get the background perspective because he was a carny. And Bradley Cooper's character is one of the more fascinating characters I've seen this year. Uh, nice. Close to the Adam Sandler, Howard Ratner character from Uncatch Gems in that he's not really a good guy. You like him because he's super charismatic and he's good at what he does and he's passionate about what he does. He's an absolute dickhead. <laughs> he is a dickhead, yes. Um, but... You like seeing him learn, and he's talented. He's not he's not privileged that he just wins a lot of money or whatever. He he works hard for what he does, but he is a dickhead. Yeah, and it's interesting seeing him going from a bum, uh, not really bum. He's kind of like a drifter. He's a drifter. He doesn't really talk at all in the beginning of the movie, which is kind of interesting. He's like a very silent protagonist. I thought he was not even going to talk for a portion of the movie. People kept talking to him, but he was just kind of like acknowledged him i almost was worried he was going to come into uh like a Nic- nicholas cage thing from from uh five nights not yeah five willie's wonderland oh yeah not five nights at freddy's willie's wonderland same thing different different products. title yeah um so yeah he's kind of like the cool like film noir he's got this uh the fedora he's got the coat he proves why he bradley cooper should have been a new version of indian jones Rather than just Harrison Ford being fucking old and them doing another Indiana Jones now. Also, what was it? They had the son of Indiana Jones, right? Uh, yeah. That kid that was... Child... Uh, Shia LaBeouf. Shia LaBeouf, yeah. Yeah. Uh, he definitely should have. Been. Bradley Cooper should. He definitely, at the beginning, when he's, like, smoking a cigarette, he's got his coat on, he's got the hat on. He's really looked like Indy in that. But anyway, very charismatic character. We go through different arcs that he starts as kind of a drifter, he becomes a carny. He becomes a very rich man uh, playing with crowds. And at the end of the movie, he goes and be- basically becomes a hobo. He becomes the geek, the the basically the homeless man that the ringmaster basically turns into. A feral beast. A feral beast, sort of. And, like, that end scene connecting it to the beginning, I was like, damn, that was good. That was amazing. Yeah. Like, seeing him devolve. Like, I'm like, okay, he's literally becoming what he didn't want to so he starts 
uh, drinking at some point in the movie, like his father, who he definitely didn't want to be. And then at one point he becomes this homeless bum who he definitely didn't want to be because he knows where this will lead because he's he was told this story in the beginning of his life where he told how grifters were born. Mm. It's people who are alcoholics or drug addicts get roped into doing this through basically manipulation. And he knew this was going to happen, and then he goes anyway and does it. And then he's like, okay, you get the job of the grifter. He's like, or the the geek. He's like, and then he's like, I'm born for this role because he's, he's seen it happen. Yeah. He's physically seen. He's watched people devolve in their humanity. Yeah. That and was he, such a cool ending to the movie. Kind of turn around from the beginning. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, pretty cool movie. Um, I really liked uh, Kate Blanchett in this. Um. <laughs> Goddamn, yeah, she looked good in this, and she is a really cool character who is kind of, she is a therapist, sort of, who turns into a con woman who cons the conner himself. She does, I, she was a very interesting character. I didn't like her because, like, I didn't understand her motives. Mm. Like, I get she wanted to play with the guy, but at the same time, like, why shoot him in the year why not just let him go just like she stole all of his money like he's got nothing left why shoot him in the air and call the police on him or whatever she was doing i didn't fully understand her character but the fact that she was a con woman and she understood she was a con woman because she was a therapist and then basically through therapy conning the comic i like that whole scenario yeah i just didn't understand her ending sure yeah her main motivation No, no that's fair that's fair um yeah um let's so that's kind of our review of nightmare alley good movie i'm actually also going to give this movie a great it looks very good i think everyone for most part does a very good job in performances bradley cooper's awesomeness i love his character and it's got enough little twists and turns and uh it is obviously it doesn't have the entertainment value of spider-man because that's you know spider-man movies and stuff like that but it is a much better made movie and it doesn't have as much negatives as the spider-man movie and especially not as the ghostbusters movie so i'm gonna also give it a great honestly i want to give this a kino i i don't think i can because a few aspects i kind of don't like um basically like i understand they're trying to make it look old-timey but it, like, it felt very gray and very dull like all the time mm. like there was no bright spots in it which I, maybe it was a filming choice um, and how they want to do it because just to make it look older and more dramatic, but yeah, I was a little bit disappointed in that, but yeah, no, I'll agree. It's a great movie. Yeah. I do want to give it a keynote because it was better than Spider-Man. Yeah. Very surprised in that it's probably turned to be my favorite movie out of the three. I'll probably watch Spider-Man more than this movie, but this is definitely the better movie out of the three and probably my personal favorite out of the three. Definitely. Easily. All right, let's get to our last couple of sections. I was running a little bit late, but I expected that. We have a lot of cool movies to talk about, and we did. Uh, so I guess let's jump into our – I think we are not going to do Game of the Week and Comic Book of the Week this week. I'll do that for next time. All right, at we'll the we, movies. We'll do at the movies, and we're going to wrap up the show. At the movies, talk about four things we watched recently that are pretty good. Two things for me, two things for Travis. So the first thing I'm going to talk about is Redline, which is a movie by a director who made the Anti, not the anti-matrix, the animatrix, the animated matrix anthology movie, which is also very good. Uh, Redline is a crazy movie that's a bit of death race 
of bit of Mad Max, uh, connected to some kind of space movie. Fast and Furious. Fast and Furious. Uh, Fast and Furious feels like it stole a lot from this movie, actually, <laughs> watching it. Um, Redline is a really dope. Oh, no. I see a lot of Cowboy Bebop, actually, in this. Especially to the main so, character. Oh, yeah. So if you want to connect to a space one, Cowboy Bebop slash, uh, what's our favorite there? Uh, Firefly. Yep. It's got that kind of level mixed with all those other weird, wacky racing. Oh, uh, also a big one for me was uh, Speed Racer. Speed Racer, yes. Because it's post-apocalyptic, apocalyptic, uh, driving through like Death Valley, no rules racing like Death Race. Um, yeah. Now it's got a lot of weird movie tie-ins, yeah. but it works all on its own right. It's its own thing, too. It's really good. So it's... So basically, a simple way to sum it up is that there's a character who's very close to Spike from Cowboy Bebop. He's got kind of like this really long, exaggerated haircut. He smokes cigarettes. He's really cool. He talks well with the ladies. And he's just the essence of cool. And all he wants to do is race and be cool. And there's this thing uh, that people go into races and qualify for the red line, which is like the main, the final championship race. And they race in vehicles on the ground, sort of like a mixture between normal racing and also pod racing from, I guess that's not a connection, to uh, Star Wars The Phantom Menace. Kind of like that. They can outfit with with weapons if they would like, but he doesn't because he's just too cool, I guess, and he just wants to race hard and fast. And he races against a bunch of weird, wacky characters, some humans, some aliens, all very exaggerated. This is not a realistic movie in any way it's very bizarre in very a lot of ways points. Tr- very trippy at points in the way they animate things uh characters faces stretch out when they're going super fast and when not- they're just talking to cameras yeah exactly it is very good movie it's uh the racing scenes are very fun of course but learning about this weird worlds it's very creative in how it builds the universe there's and it's also funny it doesn't take itself super seriously. Um, it kind of has humor sort of like Cowboy Bebop in a way a little bit. There's like they race on Robo World, a robot worlds. That very military based. They're military based and you don't want people to race on the world. It's very it's silly, but it's probably the world building. I thought the creativity was on point here. Designing the aliens, the world, the race, the race cars, the characters that drove in them. Most of the racers got like a little story bit that were like kind of like a Rick and Morty sketch, sort of. Yeah, kind of. There's so many like connections to things that we've seen before, but it works so well on its own, like you said. Redline, actually, dope I, movie. It really is. I, one more tie in. Mainly, this is just like art style. Sure. It actually kind of felt in weird ways like stu- some of Studio Ghibli. It did. There's a mechanic in the movie that looks very much like a Studio Ghibli character, the also, guy who was like six legs yeah and the uh the old lady that sells him cigarettes the one that has the smoke coming out of the top of her head yeah she felt like uh, so as soon as i saw her, i'm like is, is this studio gameplay like did they make part of this yeah i know yeah no uh, that is true there is a lot of characters that sort of look like a Sue ghibli character but also very not Sue ghibli because there are a lot of characters that are Sue ghibli does more realistic uh child-based characters in this there's like the movie love, love interest has like gigantic bowling ball sized tits that they actually show on screen i forgot about that that was so random because the movie is like mostly not rated r from what i remember Maybe but they... then there's just one scene where you know our tits are out 
Yeah. So random. I wonder if they just did that just so they could make sure it's rated R. They're like, we're going to say a crap load of swears and we're going to show somebody's tits. I don't tits. remember a lot of people swearing, though. At least not like F words. No, no, no F word. I think the, oh, maybe they weren't swearing. I can't remember. Yeah, it was just kind of random. But it's a good movie. Just very bizarre. And uh, it does have a, I don't, yeah, I have not had anyone like, Maybe one person recommended it to me, but I've not. I don't know a lot of people that have seen the movie, but it's super good and very underrated. So my first recommendation, I went a little bit long, is Redline. Trust. What's your first recommendation? Oh, it's gotta be Hit Monkey. Hit Monkey was so yep. good. Yeah, you have to finish it. I'm just telling you that now. You have to finish it. But no. So this is another Marvel character that not many people know about. It's a bit like uh, Howard the Duck, which I had never heard of until I saw like Guardians of the Galaxy. But it's literally a monkey that has kind of gained in a way the conscience or the knowledge of a hitman assassin hitman assassin and but it's a monkey so he's got much more he's agile he can like use his feet as hand basically can like hold four guns at a time if he's like flying through the air so he's monkey and monkey monkey qualities he doesn't speak because he's not human but he shows emotion and he shows like this whole wide variety of amazing like tricks and acrobatics and all this awesome cool stunts and it is animated for any of those who care but it's it is spectacular and it is by far one of my favorite marvel tv shows movies whatever huh. of all time not including spider-man or the spider-verse yeah um and also the main human character is for me i saw a lot of like archer in him it's kind of like this jackass guy who's really good at what he does Archer, bit of rick and morty a little bit yeah, yeah no it's kind of cool so actually it reminds me a bit of a uh, cyberpunk so it's this guy and he basically he goes in these like back alley like black market like mm. arms dealers he's got to deal with all them then he's got to go on his mission and kill stuff and then he becomes a ghost and he's kind of got a bit of dialogue but he's like he's talking to a monkey, so it's basically he's talking to himself the entire time. Yeah, because the monkey can't talk back. Like he says stuff in monkey, but we can't understand that. We don't know monkey Mon- speech. We don't know monkey. So I was wondering how they're gonna pull it off. Because I was like, are they gonna make the monkey talk, or are we gonna have like a character that doesn't speak the whole time? But he is the voice. Yeah, he as the main sort of main protagonist besides the monkey. Yeah, so he talks to the monkey. But he also talks himself like he'll just do random acts of dialogue just talking to himself because the monkey doesn't care what he's saying. Yeah. But he also talks to the monkey and interprets what the monkey's saying or doing or whatever. Mm. So it, it works and I really like it. I really like the ghost character, the the, the hitman guy. I love Hitmonkey. He's awesome. I even like the main, I guess you'd call it love interest. Even though it's a monkey. I don't know how the love interest thing works. But I must not have gone to that part. I don't remember. But they'll show you a, a some sort of love interest kind of thing. Basically, she's really nice to the monkey, and the monkey kind of like forms a connection with her. I'm gonna go with Troll Hunter. So Troll Hunter is a found footage movie done in Norway. I want to say that one's really good. It is good, and even though it's a found footage movie and it's a foreign movie, not made with a giant budget, they used CGI so well that. The trolls, when they show up, they blend very well into a world that's supposed to look real because they're using the found footage footage style. 
how they use CGI and the trolls in it was very, very well done. It's a very cool movie that these kids are making a documentary. They're following this troll hunter guy around, and the guy basically shows them how to hunt trolls and the world of trolls and stuff. And it's a really cool, creative movie, and I'm very glad I sat down and decided to watch it. No, I mean, like, so seeing it, like, the just the, the picture of it, because you see basically in the, the was it the, the photo that you... Oh, the poster? Poster, yeah. Um, you see like a troll leg in the background mm. in the fog, and then you see them in their big uh, SUV just like driving towards it. And I was like, "This looks really stupid." And then I watched it. I'm like, "Somehow this is by far the best found footage movie I've ever seen." Yeah, it's definitely up there for one of my favorites by far. Uh, most are pretty shitty, but like this one was super, super well done, and I was shocked how good it was. So yeah, Troll Hunter. It's on Hulu. Very good, and as long as you don't. As long as you can get by the fact that it's found footage and it's a foreign film, it's a really dope movie. That's awesome. So, yeah, those are my two recommendations of the week. What's your last one? It is The Grand Tour Carnage Atreus. Okay, yep. You are known uh, a Grand Tour lover. What are the boys up to this time? So, they're still in Europe, or I guess not Europe, uh, primarily England where they live. But they're reviewing French cars, and they're going to tell you everything that is wrong with French cars, <laughs> or at least everything that's weird about them, because I guess the French have made a lot of weird cars over the years, Yeah, um, which we don't get here in America. I, I've never seen more than two French cars in my entire life mm. living in America. Um, but And it's funny. I, lo- I don't know why it is. I just love British humor, and it is so spectacular, and it's automotive-based, and I absolutely love it, every minute of it. And it's awesome. Even though it still takes place pretty much in central, like, UK, it's still some of the best stuff I've ever seen from them, and I got an absolute laugh out of it. And this is a new series, not one of their old stuff. No, so this this is brand new. So the original one was Top Gear UK, and now they've come on to the Grand Tour. Oh, yeah, that's their new show called the Grand Tour. Yeah, the Grand Tour. fallout from Top Gear. Is Top Gear still doing their spin-offs with the non- characters that we like yeah you know they're still doing top gear is still its own thing and they have new presenters yeah i believe is what they're called and they're actually also doing top gear america with their own presenters not getting into that one but this is its own thing this is picked up by amazon and it's basically like top gear but it's only just them going on like expeditions and sure crazy wacky adventures which is what this one is and it is spectacular, and it has, a again, a whole bunch of stuff about French cars, which I never knew, and I found out a lot. So quite literally, at one point in French history, they decided to put an airplane motor on a car huh? with a propeller. That's weird. That's, why? Again, don't know. Hmm. It's something the French did, but it was awesome. It's scary, but it's awesome because it's literally a big, like, you know, the old-timey airplanes that have yeah. a big propeller on the front? That on the front of a car propelling it down the road so odd but it's not something that's like like in stock at all no 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 it, it was so it was basically it was a prototype and i think they made not even five of them yeah before people were like this is a really stupid idea sure because <laughs> like people are gonna die if somebody stands in front of it and it's, it's coming just to... the fucking blades chop them in half exactly so they, they, they didn't smarten up and they're like that's a bad idea but somebody actually came up with this idea too present to the people will be like we should put this on the road as a manufactured vehicle mm. a bus with a plane engine on the front of it 
Okay, that's that's interesting. That would be interesting to see a bunch of weird kooky ideas the French came up with for different vehicle models. It was also it's really good and in, again, in your talent Entertainment value, or at least laughter value, is it through the roof. And what's if, the name of this new one? Carnage Atreos. That was our at the movies recommendations. Carnage Atreos, Hip Monkey, and uh, I said Troll Hunters and uh, Redline. Redline. Now this is the animated Redline. Just so we're clear, there is a live action one that's not good and it's absolute shite. Don't watch it. It's not connected to this at all. No, no connection. No. Okay, just name. Just name. Yeah. And that was our Trash Talk podcast review. Thanks for uh, staying with us and listening to this review. I'm not sure what the next thing we're reviewing is. It might be Matrix. It might be Matrix 4. That would make sense. Um, I think there's another big movie that's coming out on Christmas. I don't remember which one it is. Yeah, I forget. Which one is it? Yeah, there's Matrix 4 coming out next week. And there's another movie I want to watch that's coming out very soon. We'll talk about that more next time on Trash Talk Podcast. Thanks for listening.